Hi, I'm Oren Oppenheim. I'm a second year at UChicago, and I'm a senior news reporter for the Chicago Maroon. I've been following the Yerkes story since March, since the university announced that it was going to end its operations at the observatory. And since then, I've been contacted by groups that are working with to save the, the observatory. I've been writing about the history, and I've just been following this beat. So it's safe to say that you've been following this Longer and perhaps more closely than anyone else at the university as a student? I don't know about that because there's definitely a lot of students, especially who are studying in, like, in the astronomy department, who are really engaged with the observatory. Many of them have visited. I know there are classes that visit. I don't think there are any classes that are held there full time, but there are classes that do a lot of trips to Yerkes. And the universities had been operating it for over 120 years. So I don't know about that, but definitely since I've started covering like the, the speed in March, I've really been able to learn a lot about the observatory and what it means to people here and in the community it's a part of. So just really just a few weeks ago, you published a, a really long and in-depth story about this. That's sort of what we're here to talk about today. Maybe we could start with just sort of going through the history of Yerkes. Like when was the institution sort of founded? How has its relationship to the university maybe evolved over time? And then what is happening now as the university sort of winds down its operations there. Okay. What's interesting about Yerkes Observatory is that it's always been operated by the university. It was opened by the university. From my research, I found that the observatory story pretty much began in 1892 when the first president of UChicago, William Rainey Harper, hired George Ellery Yale to teach astrophysics. And Hale had heard about a set of glass optical disks that could be used for telescopes that were 40 inches each in diameter, and they were made for the University of Southern California, but I think USC wasn't able to finance them. And Hale was really excited because those lenses could would be used in what was at the time the world's largest refracting telescope. I believe at the time it was only around like 30 or 35 inches, the world's largest. So that would have been a major, that would be like a major development that Hale could be a, a part of. So I think things developed from there. Um, the financier Charles Yerkes um, helped fund the lenses, um, and the, the eventual observatory became named after him. And the telescope was built and put on display the next year. And then, I, from what I understand, the um, Hale and the university tried to find like the right place for this telescope to be used. And they ruled out Chicago because of the issue of light pollution, not being able to see the stars. So then they settled on... Um, Lake Geneva, which is in Wisconsin, um, is now located in the town of Williams Bay Village, um, which is a small town in that region, in the Geneva Lake region. And so the observatory opened towards like the end of the 1890s. So Williams Bay Village is that is a town associated with Yerkes, the observatory. Um, is it fair to say that those communities have been fairly close-knit since sort of the beginning? Definitely. Um, and I think it's really interesting because while the university has operated the observatory since its inception, um, from my research and my discussions with people for, my, for these articles, I've seen that people in Williams Bay and in the surrounding area really are attached to the observatory, really invested in it. Uh, most of the people who work there are from the area. Um, and the town of Williams Bay Village actually includes the observatory in its official crest. So it's really a part of this town's identity which is one of the reasons why the closing has been like, really difficult for many people and that's and why this, this has been a community issue. And it's also kind of interesting when we think about community issues and the University of Chicago, we think of stuff happening in Chicago and the South Side, Hyde Park, issues of, like that. 
this is a case where the university is engaging, or as I found in my article, sometimes maybe not engaging as much as people would like, with a community that's like pretty far from Chicago, um, but that's still a community that's very tied up in something that the university operated for such a long time. So between sort of the turn of the 20th century and the 21st century, there was basically 100 years of continuous operation at Yerkes, right? Are, are you aware of, could you just give us some maybe some background of what sort of discoveries and scientific achievements happened there in that intervening period? Yeah, so there were a lot of different experiments performed there, including one that was about measuring heat from the stars and an experiment about the rigidity of the Earth, whether what lies beneath Earth is rigid or fluid. I'm drawing from some of my historical research in the article that I wrote about Yerkes' history. There are also some really famous astronomers who work there, such as Edwin Hubble, who's also a Chicago alum. And he, he went on to discover galaxies beyond the Milky Way. So that, that research didn't happen at Yerkes per se, but he, had, he, dev, he spent some time there. And one in, innovation at Yerkes, which was pioneered during, I believe, the tenure of Otto Struve, who, um, who, when he, who led the observatory starting in 1932, was um, the Yerkes Spectral Classification System, which categorizes stars into different group, luminosity groups. So there was a lot of interesting research being done at the observatory, but what I found was that as time went on, the telescope itself and a lot of the stuff at the observatory started becoming more obsolete. The field of astronomy kept moving forward. In the 1960s, the astronomy department, which had been housed at Yerkes, was moved to Hyde Park. And the observatory kept on being used for educational and research purposes, um, including in the early 2000s, there was researchers at Yerkes developed the high-resolution airborne wideband with camera hawk, um, which was being done for a NASA project, which was being able, uh, meant to be some sort of camera to help study the Milky Way and, and to be part of this um, stratospheric observatory. And then, there's, and then there was other very smaller projects being done there, and then a lot of educational outreach, the Yerkes Educational Outreach, um, which is a key element of Yerkes that people are trying to continue, worked with people in the surrounding area, brought in a lot of students, ran a lot of summer programs, had a lot of UChicago students work there as interns or do research so, and that was a major element to Yerkes' continuing operation, its engagement with the community and educational programming, even if a lot of the research and, a lot, and the astronomy department have moved to Hyde Park or elsewhere. Okay, so it seems like where we're at right now in the history, there's sort of a period of intense scientific discovery happening at Yerkes, and then around the middle of the 20th century, a transition to more of a sort of community landmark centered on education with some research still happening. What happens after that period of the observatory mostly being about educating people in Williams Bay and being a sort of community landmark? Uh, so you mean like the more towards like the current situation? Yeah, so like as we move from the latter half of the 20th century into the 21st century, what was the what was going on at Yerkes? Um, so to my understanding, a lot of educational programming continued and there and new um, educational initiatives started being brought there, such as the Innovators Developing Accessible Tools for Astronomy program, iData program, which is a project that's meant to engage high school students and others in making astronomy more accessible, including to visually impaired users. That's a program that is also, as from what I've been told, going to be continuing outside of your case. So it's educational initiatives, but also initiatives that are meant to have a broader impact beyond the observatory. Um, that said, from the university's perspective, the, this closing, and once again, Yerkes has been fully closed to the public at this point, but wasn't the first time the university tried to break away from Yerkes. In 2005, the university announced that it was going to explore the possibility of selling Yerkes and the land. And, and later in 2005, um, it was announced that like, it was going to be taken over by this developer called Mirabeau. And 
there was plans to possibly build houses and a hotel on the site, and then there's a lot of community resistance. So those plans kind of tapered off, and the community didn't allow it. There were zoning and things. So the observatory stayed open. So we already had an indication that UChicago wanted to pull out from Yerkes even over 10 years ago, but in the end kept it operating at, at full capacity, essentially given the initiatives that have happened in the recent years, like IJDA. So that was sort of... 2005, 2006, right? They tried to sell the property to a developer and the yeah. community pushed back on that and said, we would prefer that this remain sort of an educational institution. So then between then and now, what has gone on at Yerkes? From what I understand, the educational programming has continued. It's, ex- it's expanded in different ways, including with IJA and other projects. I believe some research on Hawk, on the, that camera, continued. So from what I could tell, there wasn't anything super major bombastic, but it was a continuation of the types of research projects that were happening at Yerkes, even after the telescope became obsolete, and the constant community engagement, constant educational programming. And then in March of this year, that was when the university first announced that they would be closing Yerkes finally. Yeah, they announced that, that um, I'm looking at the article I wrote, they said they would wind down their activities and formally cease on-site operations by October 1st, which is indeed what happened. But they were very, but at the least publicly, they were saying at the time that they were also going to engage with the Yerkes staff and communities in considering long-term plans for the property. But yeah, th- they announced more definitively, we're pulling out. They didn't say we're selling it. They said we're going to work with the community, but they said definitively, we are going to be closing this. And... And they, they cited various factors, including the cost of operating this. In later st- statements, I've seen the university mention other telescopes that they're operating. I think there's one in Chile, if I'm remembering correctly, that um, they think are, are more important from a research standpoint. Okay, so they did meet that October 1st closing deadline. That's when they finally closed the observatory, right? Yes. Well, to the, pub- to the public. To the public. So since you've been following it, you've, as I understand it, been... You've been witnessing the sort of engagement that's been happening between the university and the community. What has that conversation been looking at like? So a lot of this I explored in my recent feature. Um, and basically, it's it, there are some times where the university and the community seem to have, were really actively engaging. And then there were ta- periods of silence where the university was quieter. And then there are various opinions as to why. And then the university side of that. So to just run through that a little bit, in May... I'm, I'm just checking to be sure that I have the right... Yeah. So on May 18th, there, the university had a public meeting in Williams Bay talking to the community, uh, representatives from the university, spoke with members of the community. I, I believe individuals from the Save Yerkes group, which I'll get to in a moment, were there. The university had already posted a formal call for what they called expressions of interest, where interested groups could submit proposals for the future of... Your case. Um, so then this was a time where the university wasn't saying exactly what was going to happen, but they were talking directly with the community. And then over the summer, though, um, and I was following this to the best that I could. I was abroad for the summer, but I was following the story. There just wasn't too much of anything to report because university wasn't didn't release any more updates. They have a, a, a web page. The Yerkes website actually redirects this webpage called Yerkes Updates. Um, some people have criticized the university for for um, making it this stage like it, it's accessible, but it's hard to but people don't necessarily know where to find these updates. The university didn't post anything there until until mid August, and that was just to acknowledge that Yerkes educational outreach programs were going to be moved from the observatory and operated by a new group, which is the Geneva Lake Astrophysics and Steam uh, Science Technology. I'm forgetting what. You, 
Um, I'm forgetting what the rest of that. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Steam has art, science, technology, art, engineering, mathematics. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, and that's a new group that's being run um, by Kate Meredith of Williams Bay, who's formerly the head of director of Yerkes Educational Outreach. The university acknowledged that. Beyond that, they didn't give any updates in the summer, and then finally, mid September, they spoke a bit more openly about their plans. So, from my discussions from people with people who work at the observatory and people who were engaged with the, effort, the efforts to try to save it. Um, there was this element of frustration. I mean, some people were more adamant about this than others, but frustration in that the uni- that university was being so quiet and people just didn't know what was going on, so Yorkie staff couldn't tell people, I mean, wh- whether they would have been allowed to or not, they they just didn't know anything from what I can tell. And then people involved with, say, the Save Yorkie's effort, which is a student-run effort. The main person I've spoken to about this is Chris Matthews, who's a student at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, but I know there are students who have been involved with the, the Save Yorkie's effort, movement, a petition on at UChicago. So they said, well, there was just not much that they could do or say about anything because the university was being so quiet. Um, during my subsequent research and when I was asking the university for comment, their, their September statement actually coincided with some of the research I was doing for this article. And then that statement ended up becoming its own piece because it was newsworthy enough. And that's the statement where they said, like, we're, we're talking with the Yerkes Future Foundation, which we, can, we should definitely touch on soon. Um, and we're considering some low density development so they said specific so they were clear like not high density development like what Mirabeau might have been doing um but low density development and they've they've indicated in that in other statements now including one written in the local newspaper like in Williams Bay that um they had to be they they were quiet because the discussions with interested parties were meant to be confidential and there's a lot of details and whatnot so they felt that they were right to keep the discussions going confidentially but from what I could tell people in the community, whether they, even if they understood that, found that frustrating, or at least difficult, because there wasn't Yerkes staff going to talk to people. Say people involved with Save Yerkes didn't know really what was going on. So you've mentioned a couple different organizations in Williams Bay that have been sort of a part of this ongoing discussion. So there's, I'm going to try to remember all of them. So there's <laughs> GLAS, yeah. which is the educational organization. There's Save Yerkes, and there's also the Yerkes Future Foundation. Right. Is that an exhaustive list of all the organizations there that are? Those are the main ones that I've encountered. If there are smaller groups, I'm not not as sure. What's significant about Yorkie Future Foundation and the G- and what I'll call GLAS, GLAS, is that they've been publicly mentioned and acknowledged by the university. And Save Yorkies is a student effort, so that's also significant. So those are the main ones I've seen. I, there may be smaller ones that I'm not aware of, um, but I believe those were the main parties. Um, do you want me to speak to you a little bit about... Each? Yeah, so I think we've talked about GLASS, which is the organization that's going to continue the educational yeah. uh, functions of Yerkes. And then, yeah, they've already started, and st- they've been running events. They have office space. And then Save Yerkes is a student organization oriented towards continuing Yerkes operations. Yeah, I think they would probably want to describe themselves more as a movement, from what I can tell in my conversations with Matthews. But, yeah, they had, a, they had a petition that called for the university to keep Yerkes open, at least through the beginning of 2020, I believe, in order so that a tradition, a transition plan could be put in place more. And the petition has a few thousand signatures. It didn't really gain so much traction, but there were times where it got more signatures. And then through social media and other avenues, they've been trying to share stories of people in the community and encourage people in the community to share their stories about Yerkes. And I think they were just trying to spread awareness. Um, it, in, very early on, um, let, me, let me check, because I... 
Okay, so yeah, b- very early on, actually, um, a bunch of students who had interned at Yerkes, including Katya Gosman, who's a who's now a third year here. Wrote, so when, when the university announced the closure, um, she and other students wrote um, on Facebook public statements, and then they together they a lot of students came together to draft a full statement about what Yerkes meant for them and why it shouldn't be closed. And this was very soon after the closing of the. or the announcement about the closing of the observatory. And then the statement was read out at the observatory by Chris Matthews, who I spoke spoke to for my longer um, feature. So it it was very, very very soon after the um, announcement of the closure that that students really began to come together, both from Chicago, from University of Wisconsin, Whitewater, um, and and possibly other places, I'm not 100% sure, in order to be able to say to the university, look, we don't want you to close your keys. Um, We want to protest this. So then that leaves us with the Yerkes Future Foundation as the third sort of big organization working. Right. Um, and Yerkes Future Foundation is just really interesting in the sense um, they reached out to me, I think, a, a few weeks after our, our article came out about the university's announcement um, with a press release stating that they were forming this group, the Yerkes Future Foundation, in order to summit um, an expression of interest to the university in saving your case. Um, and it's a, it's a board, the chair of the board is Diana Coleman, who I've spoken to, multi- to um, multiple times when covering this beat. And many of the people involved with your case, Future Foundation were involved also with the effort in 2006 to stop the so- sale of your keys. I have not been shown or seen the text of their specific proposal. I was told that there was a need for confidentiality, which the university has echoed as well. And they've been talking a bit about fundraising efforts, having people pledge. So yeah, so so that was a few weeks after the closure in, in May, basically like this group of people came came along call, from the community, calling themselves the UK's Future Foundation and saying that we're going to we've submit, we're submitting this proposal. Um, the university for a while did not publicly acknowledge that they were speaking with the UK's Future Foundation, although I b- believe I was told at the time on background that Oh, sorry, no, I was sorry. I was told on record by the UK's Future Foundation by Coleman that um, they had spoken that the university had acknowledged receiving their proposal in September, in the middle of September, and in the university's most significant statement since the announcement of the closure, they said that talks are continuing with the UK's Future Foundation. Um, and when I was doing subsequent research and asking questions for um, my my feature, I was told that these the talks are going well, um, and Coleman believes that the university has been engaging well with the Yerkes Future Foundation, and that there is a need for the confidentiality in those their discussions. But she seems she 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 sounded very confident in like how these discussions are going. So it's interesting because it, at, when the Yerkes Future Foundation for reached out, it wasn't totally clear like are they going to be successful? What is this going to be? Um, but the university is still engaging with them and has acknowledged as such. So you mentioned this earlier. Uh, that the university's engagement with com- the community surrounding the Yerkes Observatory uh, is sort of interesting to consider in relation to other examples of the university engaging with other communities that it's involved with, engaging with other communities that it's involved in, be that maybe graduate students on campus or members of the surrounding neighborhoods with relation to development. Do you get any sense maybe that this is that maybe this is sort of a model of how the university could go about engaging with communities, both making sure that the university is able to pursue its goals and needs, but also consider the goals and objectives of the community that it's engaged with? That's a really great question. Um, hmm. I think that the, the the narrative and what's happened over the past few months with your case 
is an interesting model of the university engaging with the community. Although, once again, there definitely were people who felt the university didn't engage enough, didn't say enough, and there was a silence over the course of the summer, even if some say that was justified. So it's, and it, it's definitely an interesting example of the university engaging and not and maybe making some decisions but not acting totally unilaterally um i i'm i'd have to give it more thought to see if this would be could be applied to say some of the debates we have on campus and campus or high pro community issues but i definitely think that it's a really interesting model and the university holding meetings with the community like or like the one they held in may is also really interesting um and i'm not sure how often that happens when the university has an idea or something in chicago I believe there are university representatives sometimes at these things. Um, other than looking at like student issues such as GSU, you don't have the sense of there being a dialogue um, that we kind of had with Yerkes at least in the first few months. And now that we know that the university is talking with Yerkes Future Foundation. Um, so it's a really interesting question. And then I do wonder, yeah, like, it could be an interesting model. But I also wonder if the fact that this is in Wisconsin and this is so this surrounds an obs- like a physical observatory that they're not going to demolish um, and surrounds like people who are working there and stuff like that may affect factors as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, so um, it's it's almost funny because I stepped in to cover the university's announcement, um, so like just because it needed to be covered, um, and it was supposed to be a short nib. And then as we were getting more and more information about what students were saying and the community and stuff, then like it ballooned into a full size article, not just what we call a nib. And then I started learning more about Yerkes, which I had never heard of before, um, but realizing its significance to astronomy and also its significance significance to the community. And then the, the Yerkes Future Foundation reached out and we felt that was newsworthy enough to cover as well, that they had submitted this expression of interest and were saying the university was interested. Um, she said it made sense for me to stay on the beat since I was gaining more expertise. Um, and then there was another writer who, was, who had started some research with uh, Yerkes historical um, piece and then I ended up stepping in to help out and then ended up writing that. So then I learned a lot about um, Yerkes history and about students who were engaged with it on campus including some who helped me with research. So overall, I found the story really interesting, both given like the scientific element of, of Yerkes being important for science, but then closing, but also the community element and how UChicago is engaging with this community that's so far from campus, but one that really cares about something that the university operated for so long. I mean, Yerkes is in Williams, on, on one side, Yerkes is in Williams Bay's crest and community members really care about it. And it's like they're, it's like one of their, the, it's, it's really important to them and the, to their community. But on the other hand, it's always been operated by the University of Chicago, and Chicago has tried before to withdraw. Um, so it's just really, so it's been interesting to follow and see the tension between that and the different perspectives on has the university been too quiet or not about what's going to happen in the future of Yerkes um, and how people such as Kate Meredith with Glass have, said, have been trying, regardless of what happens to the observatory in the future, um, and I know, like people have said, if it reopens, educational programming will move back there. Like there's stuff that they can't do without the telescopes and whatnot. That's at Yerkes. But people trying to still save what was started at Yerkes, Yerkes Educational Outreach, iData, um, and run it independently of Yerkes if they can't access the building anymore. Well, 
Well, thank you for coming and uh, explaining the story to us. I hope if more things develop in relation to Yerkes, we can have you back on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.